Let's say a prayer together as we uh, open the Word of God. Father, I can't think of a more uh, important subject uh, than the trustworthiness of your Word. Uh, can we trust your Word? So, Father, we pray for wisdom on that today because, Lord, without your Word as our anchor, uh, we're cut loose and we're just drifting into the world of our own emotions, thoughts, feelings. Our culture will suck us up, Lord. Uh, we need to know that we can trust your word. So Holy Spirit, come help us as we go through uh, what Jesus has said about the scriptures. Father, will you anchor us in a confidence, a rock-solid confidence in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start in Matthew 19. So what we're doing in this series is we want to know what is Jesus' view. It ought to matter to you because he's the Son of God, the Lord of the universe. He's our creator. Kind of want to know what Jesus thinks about things that we deal with in life. Next week, we're going to build on this. So this is really foundational today. Uh, if you don't get this part about the Bible, uh, then your, your, your faith journey will be crippled at best. Um, and I'm not so much speaking to the world out there. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking, obviously, to those of us here, those online. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to change people's minds, per se. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, uh, he died in like uh, 18... Uh, late or early 90s, I think. And he, uh, someone said to him as people were attacking the Bible, how are you going to, pastor, how are you going to defend the Bible? And he said, I'd sooner defend a lion than try to defend the Bible. You don't have to defend the Bible. Don't feel like you got to go on Facebook and convince people the Bible is the Bible. You just, just live it, believe it, practice it, and share as you can. But, you know, the world doesn't want, when somebody doesn't want to believe something, you can't talk to them. If they sincerely have questions, you can help them. I don't know why, but when I came to Christ, I've never had a problem with the Bible. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people that came to Jesus have trouble with the Bible, but I never did. I came to Jesus reading the Bible. I mean, I didn't have anybody talk to me, share with me. I'm, I, I wish I had if it had been easier, but I just read the Bible on my own, and I started realizing God loved me, and he died for me on the cross. I'm all in. I gave my heart to Jesus. I never had a problem with things in the Bible until the more I went to seminary and read people that were way smarter than me, that then it made me question different things. And it's like, you know, Jesus said, except you become like a little child. Part of his wisdom is childlikeness. When we lose that, that doesn't mean stupidity. The children aren't stupid. They're 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 just they're 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 pure. They're, they're, there's a openness. There's a there's a teachability. There's a there's a a, a belief in the wonder uh, of of what God can do. So I'm going to take Jesus at His word about the scriptures, the Old Testament. Remember the when Christ came, all they had was the Old Testament, 39 books. And when He came, He He anchored His life in those 39 books, but. As the New Testament was being lived out, uh, it, it, it was being lived out in a continuation, not a contradiction, a continuation, kind of like the roots of the Old Testament. The fruits are the New Testament. The, 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 uh, what's the big part of the tree? Uh, trunk of the tree and the branch. I mean, we're in the soil of the Old Testament, which Jesus referred to as the Word of God. He referred to it as the Scriptures. And he built his life on it, and he was the living word. So in the living word, we can discover the meaning of the written word. Now, I want to start in Matthew 19. So I'm going to just go through some random, uh, uh, they're, they're not, it's not the context so much that matters as just the fact that Jesus uses the Scriptures, quotes the Scriptures, anchors his life uh, in the Scriptures. So there's this debate about divorce and marriage, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, and Jesus jumps in with these Pharisees that were uh, Bible believers, if you would, Old Testament Scriptures. He says in chapter 19, verse 4, haven't you read? Basically, the implication is, don't you read your Bible? They did. They, understood, they, they were well uh, in depth in the Scriptures. And Jesus says, haven't you read? He's going to answer them with the authority of God's Word. You know, Billy Graham would often preach, and he would hold 
the Bible up like this. And, and it was a great way, and a lot of pastors have emulated that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it, 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 it was his way of saying, this, this is the authority of what I'm saying, not me. It's not my words. It's his words. So Jesus, he could have just said, I'm Jesus, let me tell you. But instead, he comes and uses the authority of the Old Testament, and he says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator... Let me just stop there for a second. You mean Jesus believed in creation, not evolution? Yeah. You mean Jesus thinks there's a creator? Yeah. You mean Jesus thinks Genesis really happened and it wasn't just some mystical, uh, uh, you know, a way of, of poetically describing, you know, God and, and, you know, day one, day two? No, he believed in creation. Now, you can argue with Genesis, and you can doubt Genesis, but now you've got to argue with Jesus. And Jesus' view is that Genesis is real, that it records the history of creation, and that, second of all, he says, and God made in the beginning, God made them male and female, Adam and Eve, which in other places in the New Testament, Adam and Eve are spoken of. Uh, you know, it, it's... and. It's mind-boggling. I'm not again. I'm not talking about the world. I, I get it that the world doesn't want to, doesn't care what the Bible says. I get that. But I'm talking about preachers. I'm talking about theological people. People that write big, thick books that don't, that don't want to believe in one man and one woman in creation, and yet that's what Jesus believed. He quotes that you're missing things because you missed God's created intention and his plan, which we'll talk about later. It's interesting. In Matthew, you can turn there real quick if you're following or they'll throw it up there. But in Matthew 23, verse 35, Jesus mentions their child. There were two children to start with, Cain and Abel. And in Matthew 23, he, uh, uh, he says, and, and it will come upon all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah's son of Berkiah. He's basically saying from Genesis, the beginning of the Old Testament, to the end of the Old Testament, the history of Israel, he's, he's re referring to those that have been martyred. And, and most people would miss this in a trivia question. Who was the first martyr in the Bible? According to Jesus, it was Abel. He was, a, he was slaughtered. He was a righteous man. His brother was jealous and hated him and took a knife and gutted him. And that's what the scriptures say. He slaughtered him as you would an animal. And all he did was worship God with the best that God's given him. And God accepted his sacrifice and didn't accept Cain's leftovers. And Cain killed him. So you believe there's a Cain and an Abel? Really? You're that naive? You're that, yeah. Why? Because Jesus believed it. He not only believed in Adam and Eve, he believed in Cain and Abel. He believes in Genesis. Now let's go, let's go a little further and, and see Jesus based his whole warfare against the enemy in the scriptures. In, in Luke, uh, we'll go to Luke chapter 4, um, and, and Jesus being tested in the wilderness. Most of you are familiar with this story, but I find it just so powerful that Jesus defends himself against the enemy's lies by quoting scripture. When the enemy said, turn this bread into, uh, or turn these stones into bread, Jesus responded by quoting out of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, writing of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book. Jesus answered, it is written. He's just quoting the Bible. Why? Because it's the Word of God. So what? Therefore, it's full of truth, power, and authority. So he's anchoring his life not on, thus saith my emotions, thus saith the culture, thus saith TikTok. That's got a lot to say. Funny, China invented it and won't allow it in China. Kind of like fentanyl. Yeah, that's where it comes from. But do you find it in China? They'd kill you. If you tried to deal drugs in China, they'll put you to death. But it's okay to ship it to America. It, it, it's, it's just ludicrous. Jesus fought the devil. You know why Satan hates the Bible? It, it, he hates God's word because it's truth and he's the liar. 
because it sets people free and he wants to bring captivity. Because it gives people the guidance into finding God and he wants to keep people from God. You know, in, in the book of Genesis, what does the devil attack first? The word of God. He says to Adam and Eve, did, did God really say, you can't believe, you know, you're not going to take literally what God said. Did he really say that you can't eat of any of the trees, which he didn't. He said you could only eat, you could eat of all the trees. He perverts it, puts that spin. So Satan hates the word, so Jesus gives him the word to confirm. How did Jesus know the scripture to give to, there's two reasons. Let me get, see if you can come up with them. How did Jesus know, let me see a hand. How did Jesus know what scripture to give back at the devil? How did he know? What do you think? Well, but let's look at him as a human. As a human. How, does he, how did he know the Bible? How did he know it? Just born to know it? He learned it. So it's somebody, his mama and his dad put the word of God in him. When you put the word of God in, you're now not shove it down their throats and be religious about it. I heard a great story uh, last week. A uh, uh, young couple shared with me this guy. Uh, I saw him in a store and said, hey, I've been missing you at church. He said, yeah, we're coming back. And I said, well, what moved you? His, his three-year-old at some daycare came home with a little Gideon Bible. And at dinner table, she shoved the Bible in the table. The three, you don't read. Hello. So she shoved the Bible, and she said, Daddy, why don't you read out of this tonight? He's like, well, what do you want me to read? And she said, oh, the story about the lost sheep. Three years old. He's like, we're going to church next week. I mean, a little child will lead them. Simplicity. Somebody's getting the word of God in that child's heart. That's powerful. Jesus had the word and the Holy Spirit used the word. So as a human, depending on the father, he took the scriptures that he put in, his parents put in, and the Holy Spirit used him. He fought the devil with the scriptures. In Luke chapter 4, he defines his whole ministry in in regards to fulfilling the scriptures. He starts his ministry after he's baptized in chapter 4 of Luke, verse 17. He goes into the synagogue, their church service. He opens their Bible, which happens to be big scrolls, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, which is huge. In Israel, uh, uh, there's a, they, literally, they found in the 40s, 1940s, they found in caves these clay pots filled with the Bible, different books of the Bible, Old Testament. And one of them was the entire book of Isaiah, which many, quote, scholars had said, oh, the book we have now in Isaiah has completely been changed by humans. It's not, we can't, it's not believable. It's been through time. It's been corrupted. They find this as the oldest copy of Isaiah they've ever found, the entire book. And there is exactly like the book of Isaiah we have today. And, and there's a, there's, they literally built this dome that looks like the lid of a clay jar. And inside are all these different uh, uh, parts of the scriptures they discovered. But there's this glass like, like four foot in a, in a big giant circle. You can walk around. And from Isaiah chapter 1, you can walk all the way around it. And you can see the whole book of Isaiah. Jesus took a scroll like that, laid it out on the, and, on the pole, and rolled it open and found, not just he wasn't doing the hunt and dip method, let me read this, you know. I've done that. God honored it. I came to Jesus doing that. I don't recommend it. Theological uh, trainers won't, won't say that's a good way to read the Bible, but that's what I did to start with. I just said, I don't know what to read, and I'd open it, and I'd put my finger down, I'd read it. And it would just be like, Boom! It was right for me. Now, there came a time where God said, it's time to grow up, son, and stop using the hunt and dip method and just uh, read and let me talk to you. So anyway, Jesus finds where it's written, and he reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he began by saying this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Now, nobody could say that. He's saying, I am this. He defined his life based on 
the scriptures. He was fulfilling the prophet Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah and the things that he would do. He was shaped by scripture. He was under the authority and the mandates of what scripture said about him. He quoted the scriptures this day. Now, what about something that's just out there crazy, like, you know, you don't believe in like an ark and a flood and you can't, I mean, that's just, that's, that's children's story. Go to Luke 17. You know, it, it's just amazing. There's, I'm, I'm telling you, there are people in the pulpit today that would tell you that this is just a, a mythological story to kind of describe God's, uh, uh, it couldn't be an ark, couldn't be, it couldn't be a real flood. Who can build a boat, put all the animals in? It just has so many uh, uh, things that people doubt and want to contradict. But look what Jesus says in chapter 17. Let's start in verse 26, where he says, and he puts this in the context of his second coming. So it's important to know the context. You know, when he quoted creation and the creator and man and woman, he's talking about marriage and divorce and sexuality. And when he's talking about his second coming, he's going to go to the Old Testament and he's going to pull out a story about a flood in verse 26 of chapter 17 of Luke. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, you don't, you don't, we don't really believe that. Now, we, you know, well, I'm not waiting on science, though there's a lot of Christian scientists that can teach and, 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 and confirm a worldwide flood. But I don't care. I'm not waiting on science to prove the Bible to me. I'm not, I'm not, my call as a follower of Jesus isn't to stand in judgment and critique the Bible. People that do that, oh, the Bible's full of errors. First thing I love to do is have a Bible and say, show me one. Well, uh, it's normally a cop-out because they don't read the Bible. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to be told what the Bible says because it affects their lifestyle. Now, there are those that are scholarly that can point out various contradictions and various, and, and they're not contradictions of message or story or big picture. It's a, well, this, this, this chapter said there was this many people and this book said there were this many. Now, which one is, is it numerically? There's some differences. There's some just, it, it, it's, it's, it's nuances. It's not the message that God made us. Man sinned. We need a redeemer. Christ came and has redeemed us. I mean, that is crystal rock solid from Genesis to Revelation. But they come along and, ah, oh, the oh, come on. Who can build a boat like that? And you know, You're not going to believe. That's a children. Jesus believed it. And he connected it to it's going to be like his return. So if that wasn't true and wasn't literal and wasn't historical, I'm going to go out on the limb and say, I don't know if I can believe his Return's going to be literal, historical, and true. Can you, are you with me? That one con, when you chop the roots off the tree, how can the tree stand? If you say this story is not true and it's a symbolism, or, or how can you say that when Jesus uses it as a real, literal, historical event? And he goes on. Another thing people grapple with is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and because they can't find it, when God wipes something out, he does a pretty good job with it. Let me just tell you that. No, they can't find it. I don't think they ever will find it. I don't care if they find it. It's like the ark. Remember all the hype up those up on, uh, uh, what's the mountain in, in uh, Mount Ararat? And they, they found the boat. And they've seen the space shuttle flew over, whatever, and they're going to dig it up. We're going to find the ark. What, what would they do? First of all, finding the ark will change nobody's opinion on anything. It just won't. Jesus said it this way. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, if one comes from the dead and tells them, they're not going to believe him, which was Jesus, and they didn't. If you don't believe in Jesus that conquered death, it doesn't matter whether you believe in the ark or not in the sense of it's not going to make the world come to Jesus. We found the ark. No, you can go. It's in Kentucky. (laughs) You don't have to look for it anymore. You can go see it. You can get in it. I haven't been there yet. I think it's cool. But I don't care. They don't have to find the ark to prove 
that the story is real because Jesus said it was. I'm going to go with Jesus. I don't, I'm not going with the scientific explorer. I'm not worrying that they're going to find an empty tomb uh, with the bones of Jesus in it so that you can write a book called the, uh, 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 what was it? Oh, come on, the guy Tom Hanks played, the Da Vinci Code. It's a total fiction, science fiction, and people go, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, really. Jesus, the Son of God, says, oh, no, I'm not going with him. I'm going with this guy, whatever his name is. Brown, Brown, yeah, Brown's got it. The wisdom of Brown, Daniel Brown. I don't need Jesus. He said, then he goes, he tells about Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 28. He says, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planning, building, and doing a whole lot of sin. The day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven, destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Then in verse 32, he says, remember Lot's wife, which if you know the backstory, it's a city of perversion, much like many of our cities are headed to. They've, it's not just a sin of sexual perversion, but that was the premier sin. There was all kinds of greed and hostility and, and, and violence, but, but it, was a, it was people given over to their desires. So what we're going to learn in wisdom is wisdom will contradict your desires. And you've got to choose to go by what you feel you want to do, go by what you think you love. God's not going to say you don't love that. He's going to say that's not permissible to give in to those feelings and desires. He's not going to say they're not legitimate feelings and desires. They're inappropriate and wrong feelings and desires. So Jesus comes along and he reminds them of Sodom and Gomorrah that he rescued Lot, drug him out with angels, and his wife didn't want to leave. She'd rather stayed in the sin. She missed the, the life she was leaving, and she turned. It wasn't just a little glimpse. She froze in her heart wanting to be, and the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, I've been to historically, not historically, traditionally, where they feel Sodom and Gomorrah was, which was in the region of the Dead Sea. How many of y'all have been to the Dead Sea? Anybody in here been to the Dead Sea? Uh, it, it's a, one of the most eerie places on the planet Earth. You go downhill from Jerusalem so much that your ears pop going downhill. It's one of the lowest places on the planet above water. And it's this giant lake that the Jordan River flows into, but nothing flows out. And it's full of salt flats at the, at the other end of it. And the eerie thing is that there's no birds, there's no fish, there's no life. It's just... It's, 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 it's seven times saltier than our waters. Fish can't live in it. Birds, if they drank it, they'd kill them. It's eerie. I mean, you can bob in it. It makes a big guy feel little. And because you can't, I can lay on my back and most of my body's out of the water. I bob like a bobber most of me because it just salt. You can't put all your body under at one time. You can't. Your feet will come up. Your head will come up and don't open your eyes because I got water in them and my goodness did it burn. It's eerie. Well, that's where traditionally, we don't know, and again, I don't care that Sodom and Gomorrah was, and there's actually rocks that have shaped somewhat like maybe a person may have looked. I don't need them to find inside that rock is Lot's wife because God said it. And I'm going to go with God. I'm not worrying about archaeology to prove the Bible or disprove it. But I'm glad when they find things and it's exciting and it's good. I'm not, the Bible isn't anti-science or anti-anthropology uh, uh, or anti-archaeology. But the, it's, 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 it's the, it's, Jesus said it's what God did and God said. Now, you want to really go crazy. You know, Jesus mentions all kinds. He talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus mentions and quotes Solomon and King David and the Queen of Sheba. He talks about Elijah the prophet and Elisha and one of their miracles, healing Naaman of leprosy. And, and they, you know, there's these Daniel. He quotes Daniel's prophet. Jesus is absorbed in the Old Testament. 
but let's go crazy. What about, what about the whale story? That can't be real. Let's, that's just Matthew 12. That's got to be a children's book because, you know, I've seen Pinocchio, and he's in the whale, and it's got to be like Pinocchio. Isn't Pinocchio, doesn't he end up in the belly of a whale? And you wonder, I don't know anything about the background. I don't know anything about anything. I, I, I'll probably look forward to seeing it. And, uh, you know, if Tom Hanks is in it, it's like the Da Vinci Code. It's got to be true. So, you, you, you know, because he's Tom Hanks. So, but is there a little, little wink in that to say Pinocchio is obviously a little children's story? And so was Jonah. I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know. doesn't matter, but I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 12. What did Jesus think about Jonah and the whale? Matthew chapter 12. Let's pick up reading in verse uh, uh, 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. Doesn't say whale. So let's start with I don't care if it was a whale or not. I don't care what, it does. It was a big fish. Could the big fish no longer be among us? Maybe. So it's a sea creature. It was, it was, it was, it was, but again, Jesus is saying he was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. So the sun, so, now if that was a myth and a parable or symbol or, you know, just a child's story to tell, you know, don't, don't disobey God, you're going to get swallowed. You know, that's, you know, Jesus said, as he was, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So if one, and I have friends that, that, that love Jesus, but they'll tell you that Jonah was just a myth. I'm like, Jesus used that. And the reality and the historical truth of that to reference the greatest event in history, his resurrection. You say, well, Jamie, it's impossible for someone to live in a, in a, in a big fish for three days and three nights. Maybe they died. Well, if he's dead, maybe he rose him from the dead. I don't know. Either way, is it, keeping him alive, miracle. Raising him from the dead, miracle. Either way, they're both historically accurate facts, truth Jesus uses to anchor in what's about to happen to him three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, and the stone was rolled away, and Jesus came out of the grave. I'm going to go with Jesus on this. How about you? You got, maybe there's somebody smarter than Jesus. I'd like to meet them. I'd like to know them. They're, they're smarter than Jesus, wiser than Jesus. You, you get the, you, they know more about the Bible than Jesus did. You say, and by the way, how do you know, Jesus? How do you know there was a creation? Because I was there. You were there. Yeah, in the beginning was the Word, and all things were made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. I made everything. That's how I know there's creation. Well, how do you know there was an Adam and Eve? Because I made them in my image, and it was good. How do you know? How do you know there was a flood? Because I told Noah to build the boat. I sent the flood. I rescued the animals. Who do you think told the animals to get on the boat? Their creator. And they have more sense to listen to me than most people. But, 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 but Jesus, really? I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, I met Lot. I sent my angels. I rescued him out of there. I warned them of the coming judgment. I wrestled with Abraham, who begged me not to bring fire. <coughs> I was there. Someone, would you grab me that bottle of water right there, Ray? <coughs> Scream myself into a dry throat. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I like, I like someone could tell me, I'll tell you about the Dead Sea. I've seen it on a, a 
documentary. And that's different than I've been there and I swam in it. You watch the show, I swam in it. Jesus didn't hear about creation. He is the creator. Jesus didn't hear about Jonah. When Jonah cries out to the Lord for salvation, who do you think answered his prayer? Jesus. He's not just, I believe the Bible in some blind faith. He is the Bible. He made the events happen. He wrote it. Why does he believe? And then as a human, he lived under its authority. He lived in its truth. He guided his life to fulfill everything said about him. In fact, one of the most profound verses in John chapter 5, in Gospel of John, where <clears throat> the hero of the people that were struggling with Jesus, they thought they believed their scriptures, their, their Bible, the Old Testament. They studied it, memorized it, quoted it every day. And Jesus comes along and says, you know, you, you don't, you, you're missing it. You're, 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 there's a veil over your eyes. In John chapter 5, we'll start at verse 45. Jesus says this to the religious people. These are people that said they believed the scriptures, the word of God. They would have believed in the Genesis story. They would have believed in the flood. They would have believed in Jonah. They would have believed in Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they would have, those were all historically true. They, they would have believed those things, but they didn't find Jesus in the middle of all of it. And look what he says in John 5, 45. <clears throat> but do not think I will accuse you <coughs> before my father. Your accuser is Moses. You've got to remember, he's their hero. They bragged. He, he, Moses is the man. He's your accuser on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. This will radically change. Jesus, not only his views of the Old Testament, but his infusing in it himself, unveiling that everything Moses wrote about, you can find Jesus in it. This is one of the most profound statements in the whole Bible. Jesus said, he wrote about me, your hero. And then he says this, verse 47, but since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Because Jesus said, what Moses said, except Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses said and promised. Jesus is the one that gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He met him at the top of that mountain. And the glory that Moses saw was the glory of Jesus. This is what's at stake here. If you discount the Old Testament, it will discredit Jesus in the New. And if you deny Jesus in the New, you will not be able to see who he is in the Old. Their continuity, he's the fulfillment, the root, and the fruit. He's the, he's the completion of what began in the Old. From the book of Genesis with the first sacrifice, it pointed to Jesus. The tabernacle, every sacrifice, every, it's Jesus. If you don't see Jesus, even, even this, John takes this obscure story to, to reference the cross for us in, in John chapter 3. Uh, one of the, again, most people would choke to death thinking this was literally true. In John 3, 14, Jesus says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What does he use to, to reference the cross and Jesus? He takes a story out of the book of Numbers that Moses wrote. And here they're, they're, the people had sinned, and God says, I'm not happy. And there are consequences. There are snakes that came in among them and were biting them, Ven venomous snakes. And the people were being, uh, you know, they were just being tormented. And they repented, God have mercy, forgive us. What do we do? And God told Moses, get a staff and fasten a, a bronze snake to it. Hold it up. And everybody that looks at it, looks is equal to faith. He transfers it to belief in this 
It's saying, look to, like trust in. Look at, the, look at the snake on the stick. It's a snake that's been conquered. It's not alive. It's been defeated on the stick. It's been conquered, and it is no longer a threat to you because it's on the stick. If you look, you'll be healed. And the people looked, and they were healed. You believe that, Jamie? Yes, because it illustrates Jesus takes the place of the snake because of evil. He takes the evil upon him on the cross. And when we look to the cross, then we're healed of the venom of evil of the snake that has bit us. And if I don't believe that Moses raised the snake, how can I believe that God raised his son on the cross? They both complement, complete. Jesus is the fulfillment. That's the image. That's the seed. This is the fruition, the completion of that story. And he goes on in chapter 6, and he ta Jesus talks about Moses and the manna. Oh, you don't believe that. Come on. God feeds several million people with stuff falling out of the sky that they could eat. That nah, can't be true. The Bible, just because it's in the Bible. I mean, it's a children. It's a, it's a sim symbolism that, you know. No, Jesus said just like Moses gave them the manna from heaven and they ate it, so God sent Jesus to be the living bread. So if the manna isn't real, then living bread isn't real. And by the way, how good was, how long did the manna last? One day. On the weekend, they were allowed to collect enough for two days on the Sabbath. One day. Do you know you can only ever get one day worth of Jesus? It's a whole nother message. You can't get two days of Jesus. You can't get enough Jesus today to last you for tomorrow. You're going to need more Jesus tomorrow. You're going to need more bread. That's why Jesus said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. We need him is the point. And he loves to be fed upon. You believe that? Yeah. Last couple, couple verses. The last thing he said on the cross, the last thought in his mind, we bring out in John chapter 19. Go there with me. Well, how important were the scriptures to Jesus? He built his life on them. He lived in accordance with them. He was the fulfillment of those scriptures. Now here he is several times it says, three times in chapter 19 of John, that the scriptures would be fulfilled. They're prophecies. I'll just read you one. Verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed. Now he's hanging on the cross. Bloodied, whipped, crown of thorns, son of God, on the cross, pierced hands, pierced feet, barely can get his breath, dying of, of asphyxiation because he can't get his breath from hanging there the way they, when they would crucify him like that. You think, what would he be thinking of? Well, we know in other scriptures he saves somebody in his, some of his last breaths. He saves a thief. So he's thinking about others. He thought about his mother and, and gave her responsibility over to John to, to watch for her. But in the midst of all of that, he, he says this, later knowing that all was now completed so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And they brought a sponge and then he hollers, it is finished. Fulfilling scripture, even in his last breath. How important is the Bible? It's essential. Now, the Bible without Jesus is a dead book. Jesus without the Bible is a, is a boundaryless relationship. You, you, Jesus is the living word when you encounter him, when you come to know him. When I gave my heart to Jesus, he opened his scriptures to me. Now, I've been walking with him over 45 years. There's still things in the Bible I don't get, I don't understand, I can't explain. I want to read to you out of one of my heroes, uh, Billy Graham. He died at 99. Um, I, I love Billy Graham. You know, don't, don't have a hero until they're dead. No, I, did, I let my marker go out. It'll be a miracle if I find uh, the spot. I had the page folded over, and I think maybe that's... All right, here it is. You, to, don't, you know, living heroes are dangerous because they can crash. Billy Graham's done. Ain't gonna, you're not going to read about him in the paper tomorrow. He's, in, he's with Jesus. I love him 
because of his faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to his wife. He had weaknesses, flawed. He was human. But <clears throat> he was in a Bible study and at a retreat with this woman named Henrietta Mears. You, most people don't talk about her. She was before her time. She was preaching the Bible before women were allowed to preach the Bible in this country. She, was, she had a Sunday school class in a Presbyterian church with over 500 young adults in it. And big name people would go to her to learn the Bible, and Billy Graham was one of them. He's only 30 now. He's been preaching, but one of his buddies has got caught up into this, this liberal theology, this, this intellectualism that no, all the stuff I just said, they would, they would try to discount it, discredit it, and say, you know, that's just, uh, you're, you're just simple-minded, and you don't understand the deep things of, of this and that. Well, he's struggling. He doesn't know what to do. And she gave him some advice and counsel. So he's at this retreat. <clears throat> he's, you know, can I trust the Bible? That's what's tormenting him. Can I trust the Bible? It says, I got up and took a walk out into the moonlight. The shadows were long in the San Bernardino Mountains surrounding the retreat center. Dropping to my knees there in the woods, I opened the Bible at, a ran at random on a tree stump in front of me. I couldn't read it in the shadowy moonlight. I had no idea what the text said that laid before me. It's now an altar where I could only stutter into prayer. The exact wording of my prayer is beyond recall, but it must have echoed my thoughts. Oh, God, there are many things in this book I don't understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in which it doesn't seem to correlate with Modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions that Chuck and others are raising. I was trying to be on the level with God, but something remained unspoken. <clears throat> At last, the Holy Spirit freed me to say it. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions, doubts, and I'm going to believe this to be your inspired word. That was a turning point for Billy Graham. He didn't change what he preached, but he preached with a new conviction and authority, and it wasn't long after that that God just breathed on him and his ministry went, Whew. all I'm telling you is that you can have all the intellectual arguments in the world but it's going to come down to, do you believe God's big enough to write a book and get in paper what he'd like to have you read? Do you have a God that's big enough to use human beings from all different walks of life? Some were farmers and prophets and kings and priests, and, and most of them didn't know each other over a period of several thousand years and put together 66 books with no contradiction, with the same message from beginning to end? Only God could make that happen. God could breathe into the hearts of simple fishermen, and they could write a gospel. And God breathed into simple people like shepherds that became kings like David, and he wrote the Psalms and took regular people, and he used them, and their personalities come through, and their, their, their different persuasions, and there's humanness in the Bible. It's meant to be there. Just like Christ was when he became human incarnation. There's humanness of Jesus. He had flesh. He looked like his mama. He had his mom's hair, eye color. I don't know. He's human. He had weaknesses. He got tired. He never sinned, though. There's a difference between humanness in the Bible and error. There's no error in the Bible. There are discrepancies of minor, minute details that happened in various translations, and people argue to death over it. But a four-year-old can understand, or a three-year-old for that matter, could understand the simple message from Genesis to Revelation is that we have a God that made everything. We have a devil that messed everything up. Man sinned and needs redemption, and Christ came and provided it. Jesus said, this day the scripture is fulfilled. This is living word living out the scriptures. So can you trust the Bible? You can bet your eternity on the Word of God. Because here's the other question. If you don't trust the Bible, 
And you're guiding your life based on what? Daniel Brown? I don't know. Madonna? I don't know. Tom Cruise? You know, Scientology, UFO landed and aliens came out and, and, and that, that, that's going to be your, your what, what's the basis of your, what you feel? I feel this is right. People go down paths of destruction because they feel something's right. The Bible isn't about feeling. The Bible is about believing. God said, I can't, I may not understand, I may not like it. But if God said it, then I've got to submit to his word because he's my God. Now, if Jesus isn't your Lord, then the Bible does, it's, it's, it's not going to mean much to you. It's be sentimental. You could be religious with it. But if you're not finding Jesus in the Bible and getting closer to him, I met a guy one time in Rayford Penitentiary. I used to go there in seminary, and we'd, we'd get locked into cell block maximum security, and there were three stories, and we'd witnessed to guys. I met this guy. He had read the Bible seven times through. At the time, I was working on my first time. Seven times. Didn't believe in Jesus. He would write letters to Christians, girls, on the outside, and he would be a, he needed to know the Bible so he could con them. He'd write other people that didn't believe, and he, he would be whatever the person was that he was writing to. I said, you read seven times? And he said, yeah, and the Bible's full of errors. I said, really? Show me one. Well, he takes me to the book of James, and it says, God tempts no man with evil. And then he took me to the book of Genesis, where it says, and God tempted Abraham. And I, I didn't know enough to know there's a difference between a test and a temptation. God doesn't tempt anybody to do evil, but he tests us all the time. A temptation is a motivation is to get you to do something bad. A test is to get you to do something good and to grow. But it was a seeming contradiction that he found because he was reading it to find something to use against people that believe the Bible. So I'm not going to get into some heated debate, and I don't want you to go on Facebook, think you're going to talk people, well, the Bible says. They don't care what the Bible says. They don't care. I just saw a lady, they, they showed a clip of her on the news, effing the Bible and effing people that believe the Bible because she's a pro-abortion, and you're not going to, don't quote your effing Bible at me. And, you know, I could get mad at her, but there's Christians that need to quit having this as a good luck charm on your shelf and get it out and actually read it and do something that it says. I'm sorry for her. She's F the Bible. She'll answer. She's chosen her path is her path of her own whatever. But, but, but for believers that have the Bible and we're, we're like practical atheists, we believe in God and his Bible and we'll defend it. Yeah, we, we believe the Bible. We need to get the Bibles back and, well, start reading it. Practice it. Let's work on that. I'm happy to see it back in school. And, but the reality of that happening without some kind of major breakthrough of God, let's just, let's, let's, I want our church to be believers of the word. All your promises are yes and amen. I want us to be gripped with, I don't feel it, I'm insecure, but I'm hanging on to the promises of God. It's all I've got. He said it. i got to go to bed at night believing it. Because without that, it's whatever it looks like, feels like, seems like. What are the opinions and the culture? And We're in trouble. We're in trouble. Some of us have, are on a wrong path. And you need to listen to God's word his wisdom, the living Jesus that believed it, apply it to your life and go by what he said, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it challenges your habits and hobbies and even your affections. You, you, you have to have them surrendered to Jesus. Not everything that you desire is good, even though it may feel right. But if God says it's wrong, then you're going to have to deal with God. Don't shove him because it's an inconvenient this and you don't want to hear him. 
And that's the way, you know, you can close this book, but God didn't quit talking when you closed the book. People can try to, but when you got the word of God in you, it, it, it's seed. Holy Spirit will use it. He'll stir it up in you. And some of you today, you've been away from God, but you've got his word in there. And the Holy Spirit's watering that word like seeds in the desert. And the desert's starting to bloom. It's something's inside of you going, yes, yes. That's the Holy Spirit. It's not the words of Jamie. I have no hope. It's like the boy that told me, you know, I was doing his mother's memorial. And he said, you know, I don't want the Bible. I don't want the Bible read at my mom's memorial. And I said, well, buddy, I don't sing. I don't dance. And I got nothing worth telling anybody. So you might as well get somebody else to do your mom's memorial. Because if you take the Bible from me, I've got nothing. You, want, you don't want what Jamie has to give you. I've got no wisdom. I've got no truth. I didn't create the universe. I didn't, I, I didn't conquer death. I didn't die on a cross. Without the word of God, we have no anchor. We have no light to shine and guide our path. Let's pray together. So I'm not asking you this morning to vote on whether you believe the Bible or not. I'm going to ask you this morning whether you've applied the Bible, believed it, and applied it to promises to begin with, with that he loves you and that Christ died. He didn't, get, he didn't put a snake on a pole. He put his son on a tree. And he said, if you look to Jesus and believe in him, you'll be forgiven and saved. Have you done that? I'm not asking if you're going to vote on him. I'm going to ask whether you've surrendered to Jesus. So just, you, you know that answer. Not what it looks like to others or, or things. And, and I'm not asking that when I came to Jesus, I had so many questions. I probably have more questions now than I had when I first came to Jesus. But I don't let those questions get in the way of my relationship of trusting God and that he'll give me the answers and the understanding if I need it and when I need it. But you can let your questions get in the way between you and God. They become an excuse to say, I'm not going to believe because of I don't, I, no one can explain this to me. Well, it's not about explaining everything to us. There's a lot of stuff we wouldn't understand if God tried to explain it to us. You've got to trust him. So if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, what a wonderful time to do it, whether you're online right now or in here, just to say yes to Jesus. I need you in my life. You can trust him. His word is truth, and it'll set you free if you'll believe him. Lord, bless that one that's crying out to you right now, coming home to you right now. Lord, wrap your arms around them. Let them know you hear their cries. Just like you heard Jonah's cry in the belly of that whale, and you raised him out of it, Lord. Raise them up this day. In Jesus' name, amen.